Hi everybody, this is Christopher, and you're listening to Finding Japan, episode 19. It's a beautiful day in Tokyo, and all the pigeons are in heat. Today is Saturday, May 12th, 2007. I'm sitting here at the edge of the Sumida River um, on the Sumida Kusai, and I'm sitting in a walkway park type area um, right underneath the highway. It's, it's pretty nice. I have the sun right in my face, and there's a line of buildings in front of me, and I get to watch these boats go back and forth, and it's kind of relaxing. I'm taking a break from doing some work today at home. Um, I find that if I work too much and I stare at the computer, my, my eyes get really fatigued and I need to start looking further away. Um, throughout the past maybe four or five years, my vision has gotten progressively worse and I'm pretty sure that it has to do directly with the amount of computer work that I do. So Today's, today's episode is going to be focused primarily on the commute cast. Um, I re-listened to some of the materials that Alex and I had done last month, and I think I'm going, what I'm going to do is play those now and then jump in with a, a few more. I'm sorry, I got distracted by the boat. Even the boats here have messages about you know when to stop and when when not to step off the boat and where to stand wow that's impressive usually you only hear those types of messages in the in the train station but i think what i'm going to do also is take a picture once the sun goes behind a building here of where i am and post that for this episode so you guys can sort of get a feel for where i'm at but anyway um i wanted to do the commute cast episode and that's going to happen right now so Here's a clip of Alex and I talking a little bit about commuting through Tokyo. And then when that clip is over, I'm going to jump in with some additional comments. I think commuting in Tokyo, man, it's out of control. Yeah. I, I think maybe it would help to sort of just describe for people first what the Tokyo transportation system consists of. There are, as far as I know, mm-hmm. there's the JR trains, which pretty much everybody knows, and those are above-ground trains. Think of them as commuter trains. It's similar to um, Metro North in the New York City area. Does LA have any commuter trains that are above-ground like that? Yeah, we have a light rail system. Okay. Yeah. It's probably equivalent to the LIR, too, down in uh, Long Island. Mm-hmm. So those trains are mostly above ground. There's, there's, I think, maybe five or six lines that crisscross through the city and one that does a loop around the city. So you got those trains. There are two subway companies. There's Tokyo Metro, and then there's, uh, what's the other one, Toei? I I don't know what the second one is. Man, I really should look that up before talking about that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so suffice it to say there are two 
individual companies that run trains underground. Uh And oftentimes they share stations, but you have to get out of one to get back into the other one. You have to sort of like check out and then check back in. There's been a couple times where we've had to do that. It's been kind of annoying. And then there are private rail companies that run either extensions off the JR lines or um, some other random lines, like I think the uh, Rinkai line is one of them. And then there's another one too, um, more in, Ko- in Kotoku over to the uh, the east of central Tokyo. Is the monorail also private? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think so, because it's such a short line. Where does it go? I thought it goes to, like, where your work is almost. Near Odaiba, isn't it? Could I, be. I'm not sure. Is that the, is, I wonder if that's the Rinkai line. Oh, it could be, yeah. Yeah. Might be. I know, and there's also uh, one that goes from a station off of the uh, Yurakucho line down to Ariake, where I, where I will be working. And I know that one's a private line, too, so... I haven't ridden any of those lines yet, but that'll that'll be an experience. Mm-hmm. So you have at least, let's say, at least four companies that you're dealing with, and that oh, and that's not even including buses. Yeah, buses are also run by Tokyo Metro, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know if there's more than one bus company. I have to look into that. But t- taking a bus seems like it'd be really impractical in Tokyo, though, because there's driving through Tokyo is terrible, and You'd be sitting on a bus and it'd take forever. <laughs> I just can't see going anywhere on a bus unless it's raining and you have to go up the street. Yeah. So buses, above ground trains, underground trains, private lines, monorails. I bet you there's even a train where you hang from it, you know, like in, mm-hmm. a, <laughs> like in an amusement park. Um, so those are your options for the most part. Now, your options to pay get even more complicated. JR has the Suica card, mm-hmm. which works on any JR line, Tokyo Metro line, and I think um, it may possibly work for some bus lines. Yeah, I think so. And then you can also pay at some uh, like kiosks and newsstands that are in the stations. And it's basically like a, um, a card, a little IC card that you charge, you put some money on it, and then each time you go through the station, it automatically deducts the appropriate amount based on which station you entered and then which station you exit. Now, I think Tokyo Metro has the PASMO, mm-hmm, right. which, uh, man, I, can, I can never get that freaking song out of my head. I'm going <laughs> to find it and I'm going to insert it right here. So now you'll have it stuck in your head. Ha! Maybe maybe I'll get it out of my head. (laughs) No, it's a really cute commercial. Um, But apparently that pass works for the above-ground trains, the underground trains, and the buses as well. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that is you have to recharge that at a Tokyo Metro station. I found that out. I'm like, okay, it's an IC card. You can put it in Tokyo Metro and it'll work, but if you put it in a JR machine, it won't. Mm-hmm. And vice versa, a Suica card, if you put it in a Tokyo Metro machine, you can't put any more money on it. So that's probably the easiest way to pay if you're coming here and you don't really know where you're going, get one of those cards, put some money on it, and then you can pretty much go wherever you want. Actually, I'm gonna take that back. If you're coming for just a couple weeks, oh, yeah. get a JR Rail Pass. Yeah, that's where to go. <laughs> We've ta- I've talked about that already. Um, but look that up. Look up JR Rail Pass and get one before you come out to Japan. You'll save yourself a ton of money. And if you take the 
Shinkansen to at least like Kyoto or Kobe or Osaka and back, you've already paved for your card. So um, now commuter passes. What the hell's going on with the commuter passes? <laughs> I, I don't know if I saved any money at all. I think we did because so. Let me lay it out for you right now. Alex and I have to take two two different lines to get to class every day. So at the very least, we're leaving from Kurumai, taking the Oedo line to Itabashi, and then from Itabashi taking the Tozai line to Waseda. Mm-hmm. That trip right there is 210.50, so 260, 260 yen right okay. there. Now, if we were to take the reverse trip, it would also be 260 yen. That's if you have... Uh, an IC card. If you have to buy tickets, yeah, it ends up being two ten and one sixty. Yeah. So three seventy. So if you multiply that times five <laughs> and times two, that's pretty much two sixty times two times five. That's uh, two thousand six hundred yen a week. Mm. So if we took that five five times, it's about. A, 10,400 yen a month. We just bought passes. Well, you bought a three-month pass. Right. And how much was that? Uh, 17,000 yen. 17,000. And I bought a one-month pass, and it was about six, six, uh, about 6,100. So with a student discount, it actually does yeah. end up saving you some sort of money. But now what we found out, and which is actually kind of tricky, is you have to write your... The station you leave from, the station you go to, and what station you change at. Right. I guess they're expecting you can only change at one station. I don't know about that, though. Hmm. And, I mean, how do they really check that? Well, they have that, like, massive computer that has, like, all the stops, and it could probably put, like, which one, and it'll tell you what the shortest one is you should change at. Oh. We're probably taking the right one already. But it, it's a short commute. I think total train time is between 20 and 25 minutes, depending on right. the changeover. Yeah. And, you know, we would end up spending over or a little less than $100 a month if we had just paid for tickets all the time or put, mm. put it on money on a card. And so we end up saving about $40, $40, $50. So that's not too bad. But if you have to go anywhere else, yeah, you're pretty much screwed. Mm. I mean, that's what I'm coming, <laughs> that's what I'm coming uh-huh. to learn. Um, you could, I guess, maybe get another pass, but I don't think there's any volume discount. No, I don't think so. And I haven't seen a pass where you can ride as much as you want on any line. There may be a pass where you can put in stations you go to, and mm-hmm. you get like a a discount to go through those stations, kind of like the student pass, but probably not as big as a discount. Big of a discount. Yeah. Well, when it says student pass, I thought it was just a discount on all your train rides because you're a student i didn't think it's just the route that you took to school yeah i thought so too but apparently not well the one student discount is if you go anywhere over 100 kilometers on a gr then they'll give you a discount anytime yeah anytime so like if we're going down to kansai or something then we can get oh we will be going down to kansai Kansai region of, I almost said Tokyo, of Japan, mm-hmm. is uh, pretty much the, the heartland of Japan. That's what it's called, or kind of what it's known as. And the main 
cities in that area are... Is Nagoya considered Kansai? It's probably not, not far really. down enough. Nagoya's pretty no. much halfway between Tokyo and Osaka. Yeah. And then Osaka, Kyoto, and Kobe pretty much make up the trifecta of, yeah. of mid-Kansai area cities. So it's about a two and a half... No, about an hour and a half Shinkansen ride. Maybe more. Maybe I think two like hours. Two hours. Two and a half. Is it two and a half? Something like that, yeah. I guess it depends so, on which one you take to. But it's, it's like an hour and a half. That's what it is. Hour and a half flight and then mm-hmm. like a two and a half yeah. hour Shinkansen ride. So definitely worth it. Get a student pass for your own down there. But yeah, we're, we're finding that it is expensive to commute in Tokyo and we've only got our path to school covered and I got to figure out how to get my path to work and back covered. I, I have to pretty much travel in a triangle. So I have two more legs I got to figure out what I'm going to what I'm going to do with. And then Alex, um, fortunately you can go halfway back to get to right. Itabashi and then you have a straight shot to where you're going to work. So you're you're all set. So very confusing, multiple companies, multiple cards and not to mention you can pay with your phone. There's ways to link all this stuff up together and it's it's terribly confusing. Yeah, but I'm just I'm just kind of impressed by how they they set that whole IC card up to work on all the systems. Yeah, there's got to be something. And and now they're like, I think like just started last month. I saw some signs saying like how there's how Suica and Pasmo, you know, they'll work, mm-hmm. you know, with each other now. They're they're interchangeable. Right. Like, yeah. They're kind of being... Except when you go to put money on them. Right. This is the only thing. <laughs> I I just thought oh I'll buy one card. Yeah. And I'll yeah. be good to go no matter what. But I think I actually screwed up my Suica card by trying to stick it in the in the machine and then Tokyo Metro machine one day and then the uh JR machines wouldn't take it anymore, so I had to buy another one. So I don't know, there you go. I, I guess as we discover like other ways to try and get get by the you know, get through the system there and spending the least money we'll let you know, but So that little piece of audio was recorded maybe maybe a month ago. And one of the things that I've discovered since then is sort of the, the hassle of having to constantly recharge my card. As I explained before, my commute goes somewhat in a triangle. And if you buy a discount commuter pass, that pass is only good for two different stations and any necessary transfers in between. So as a result, the student pass that I have only covers the leg from my home to my school. I also have a leg from school to work and then a third leg from work to back to home. So my student pass that I had spoken about before was only good for a month, so consequently I had to renew my pass and I didn't have much time to do it today. Um, the pass, the passes can be bought at station offices, but the problem is station offices are only in the larger stations. So as a result, uh, you have to go to Shinjuku Station, Tokyo Station, Itabashi, etc. Um, the one that I go to in Itabashi is constantly busy. Usually I don't have time to, to make the purchase. There's just not enough time. And then after, after work, there's no station on the way that actually sells the passes. So it's highly inconvenient. 
today I discovered a different way to, to get around that though. I had been using a Suica card for my work transportation, which I'm getting reimbursed for. And I was using my paper student pass, which you actually have to run through the machine as you go by. However, today I bought a PASMO card that has my student pass on it and I can put money on it. So now I will only have one pass for both my student activities and I can put money on that pass uh, to cover the transportation needed to work and then back home. So that's, that's kind of cool. I was thinking today it's like... It's like Lord of the Rings, you know, there were eight rings or nine rings and or eight rings made and one ring to rule them all. This is sort of like the one card to uh, rule all my transportation. Right now there's these two dinner boats that are going by. These dinner boats are, are paid tours that um, you get to eat dinner on. And they travel up and down the river and they play a little tape recording of what you're seeing on either side of the river. And in the back of the boat is a kitchen and I guess they make some sort of food for you. And there's four of them that are going by right now that I can see, maybe there's a fifth. We'll see, so that's the noise you're hearing right now. I sent myself some notes for other things I wanted to cover in this episode. Uh, and one other thing about the uh, transportation thing. Obviously, mentioned in the other clip there, you can't use, um, you cannot recharge your Suica card in a metro station. So now I will have the ability to recharge my metro card and not have to go to a, uh, what are they called, an above ground rail, light rail station, like a JR station in order to get my card recharged. So that's, that's really good. So while I was riding on the train today, I discovered that many Japanese people wear slip-on shoes. And one of the smartest decisions I made when I came to Japan was deciding to pack these pair of slip-on shoes that I have. Uh, an old friend of mine used to call them my grandpa shoes <laughs> because they look like the kind that grandpa would wear, you know, your grandfather. They're not penny loafers. It's like a single piece of leather with a little stretchy part so you can kind of put, put your foot in. But one thing I noticed today is that a lot of people in Japan wear these shoes. So now I feel like I, I fit in a little better. And um, also many public places that are more traditional have uh, that area that you take your shoes off in and then put on the, the indoor slippers that you can walk around on. Our apartment doesn't have that, um, but a lot of restaurants have that. Quite a few clinics and things like that have that. And having shoes that you can slip on and off makes it so much easier to do that. So kind of makes a lot of sense. Hopefully you're getting the sounds of people walking by in stereo behind me. I wanted to talk a little bit about podcasting for a moment. I was listening to Scott Lockman's Tokyo Calling a few weeks ago, no, a few days ago, and he was saying how he wanted to do something new or something literary, and we had started up a conversation before during our interview talking about the future of podcasting, 
And I wanted to take a moment and think about the podcasting's history. And there have been two pretty amazing things that I've listened to in the past week or so that have made me realize that podcasting and probably many other Web 2.0 technologies are really nothing more than more immediate, more public ways of doing things that have already been done in the past. It's nothing really new. A listener of Finding Japan had started a conversation with me, and this particular gentleman had lived in Japan in the past and is now listening to this podcast to sort of、uh, rekindle the memories, I guess, of, of his time in Japan. And we've had a couple email exchanges back and forth. And one of the things that he did is he shared with me recordings that. I believe it was his friend or a brother. They call each other brothers, but I think, I think they were, I think it was a friend. And these recordings were done, I think, in the 80s or 90s. The recordings are just sort of like an audio diary version, not, not so much about Japan specifically, but more about what's going on, an audio postcard, so to speak. But what these two guys would do is they would take audio tapes and record into them and then. Send them back and forth. And this gentleman who had sent me the、um, MP3 had converted those tapes electronically to MP3, which I think is a great idea. I have a ton of tapes back home of old bands and things like that that I need to, I need to convert someday. But what I thought was really interesting is that concept of sharing something with somebody via audio,、um, albeit a bit slower, was already there. Granted, it's not a, a publishing model, it's a point to point model, but it, it was truly incredible to see how,、uh, how that mechanism worked. And, you know, I, I think often when these new technologies come out, we are too quick to think of it as the, the newest, latest, and greatest thing when, in fact, it's already been done before. I'm sure too that with a lot of news publishing and things like that, that has also been done before.、I'm、getting attacked by bugs out here. The second example that really got me thinking about podcasting was、um, this same person had pointed me to an NPR piece. Is something I think it was called Lost and Found Audio. I will put a, a link to it. This particular Lost and Found Audio segment was talking about、uh, the Vietnam tapes of Lance Corporal Michael A. Baranowski. Michael A. Baranowski was in Vietnam in the late 60s. And that was a weird sound, wasn't it? I don't even know what that was. I think that came from the highway above me. Bizarre. It sounded like a dog barking, but it was way too loud to be a dog.、Um, no, that is a dog. Wow. That dog doesn't sound too happy. There's a small walkway underneath the highway as well. And any sound that comes out of that walkway gets echoed up just right up through the rafters or the, the, the girders within the, uh, uh, underneath the highway, and it echoes quite a bit. But it's still a pretty cool area. Anyway, Lance Corporal Michael A. Baranowski.
This guy had taken a reel-to-reel recorder to Vietnam, which just blows my mind to begin with. I can't imagine how you would keep something like that operational with the mud and the rain and the dirt and grease and grime of war. But but he did it, and he would trade three-inch reel tape with his family back and forth. Unfortunately, this particular gentleman died in combat, but one of his friends who he had fought in the war with in 1997 was reunited with this particular gentleman's sister and was surprised to find the tapes still intact. That sounds like an attack dog, man. I'm kind of scared to go back up there. So this this gentleman had found the tapes, and he went to NPR and had them played. And you can listen to that segment in the link that that I will send with the with the show notes. But man, the power of that audio just struck me today. The audio that this gentleman had sent me, what really struck me was how apparent the bond between him and this other guy was, even across the distance and time uh, that was necessary in order to send tapes back and forth. But what struck me about these Vietnam tapes was just the way this gentleman carried himself. And you could literally hear the bombs going off in the background of the mortar shells, and he's describing it step by step what's happening and what he's thinking it's just if if you're into you know having an experience through audio and you you enjoy listening to things like this because of of you know you want to share in the experience of someone wow go go listen to that it makes what i'm doing look like the most insignificant thing in the world oh see there's a new kind of boat that i haven't seen before It's pretty interesting. Okay, sorry here. But it really got me thinking about podcasting, and one of the things I wanted to do with this podcast eventually is to catalog it and and maybe put it on archive.org for my family and friends and other people in the future. Maybe someone will listen to this 30 years from now and, and say, wow, you know, that's, that's either incredibly trite but it's interesting because it occurs 30 years ago or or maybe someone gets some insight out of what I'm doing I don't know maybe someone wants to know what commuting in Japan was like 30 years ago and then they'll be listening to this episode and they'll find out so I just wanted to thank that listener for sending along both his tapes and those links it really helped me sort of think about what I might want to do with this project in the future It looks like this will be a shorter episode. I'm kind of having fun just relaxing right now. I have plenty to talk about, but what I've been doing is collecting those thoughts in buckets, and then I'm going to do episodes with those buckets. I went to a, the supermarket for the first time today, and wow, that was an incredible experience. So many good things. One of the things I found pretty amazing about Japanese supermarkets is some fresh items like vegetables are on display outside and they're on display outside where you could easily just grab it and run away Um, not that I had the thought of doing that but as I walked up to it it occurred to me that that would be very easy to do however I I refrained I'm I'm a good I'm a good 
foreign criminal. <laughs> I don't do things like that in daylight. <laughs> if you hear me taking pauses, it's because there's people walking behind me. I don't want to look too crazy. But one of the things that struck me about the supermarket was all the fresh items like vegetables fried with, with tempura and fresh fish and fresh meat were all sort of just laid out in the open, like not covered, just open. You get to select the piece you want with a pair of tongs. Lots of Genki people walking the uh, little park pathway here now. Anyway. Yeah, everything was just totally open, so uh, you can get the most amazing fish. Uh, the selection is incredible. Uh, shrimp, fish, raw fish, pre-cooked fish, those tiny dried fish that you can like put in soup or on top of rice. I'm definitely gonna get some of those. Unfortunately, I couldn't, you know, I have a limited amount of space that I can carry on my bicycle, so I just filled up on things that I think I will want in the next few days. And uh, I'm definitely going back there. The place is called Ozeki, and it's in Asakusa. Incredible. I bought some oranges today. I haven't had fresh fruit in forever. I was totally fired up to eat an orange today. <laughs> the simple things, I guess. What's interesting is fruit wasn't as expensive as I thought it would be. Wow, I'm watching these guys on the boats here, and it looks like the cook on these uh, tour boats here, these dinner tour boats, they get the ride on top of them as they go along the river. And these boats have roofs, and these dudes are on top of the roofs. Oh, that looks like so much fun. I want to do that. When my fiance comes out in the summer, we're gonna we're gonna take many tours like this. We're gonna do all the touristy type stuff. So I'm holding off at the moment. So expect more touristy type videos in the future. Probably sometime after August. <clears throat> It'll be nice to get out of Tokyo, I think. I just stopped to take a picture. Everybody seems to be walking their dogs here. Took a picture of these buildings here. Actually kind of kind of nice with the sun setting behind them. I don't know if you can hear the waves. A boat just went by and the waves are kind of lapping up against the uh, edge of the concrete barrier here. Man, those people walk by have huge dogs. I thought everybody in Japan had small dogs. I guess I'm wrong. I guess the big dogs come to the uh, river parks and the small dogs go to the uh, parks that are inside of the city. So I also wanted to talk a little bit about uh, an amazing night I had last night. One of my friends here in Tokyo is returning to Okinawa. And uh, I wasn't exactly sure when she would be returning. So I wanted to make sure I had the opportunity to see her before she left. So another good friend of mine had told me when uh, she would be at this particular Tachinomi place. And I decided to go down there. So last night, after getting out of work at around 7, got home approximately around 8 o'clock or so changed quickly and then headed out and I went down to Kamada to go to my favorite Tachinomi place which I've talked about many many times and when I got there 
only the people I had been introduced to through friends were there. None of my friends that I had uh, actually conversed with outside of the Tachinomi area were there. But there was this guy who was managing a transvestite shock rock band, it looked like. And he gave me free tickets, so I, you know, I immediately struck up a conversation with him. I'm like, here's a 50-year-old guy who manages a transvestite band. Um, you know, how, how can you go wrong? You know, there, there's plenty of conversation there. And he knew a little bit of English, but eventually he had left. And uh, I was forced to speak to and make friends with the people who were there who didn't speak any English. So I stayed there for approximately maybe three hours or so. And it was incredible. I had such a great time. I spoke next to no English and uh, my friend eventually showed up so I felt a little more comfortable. Even while she was there, I, I didn't speak English to her. She doesn't speak English. She speaks English much much better than I speak Japanese, but um, still, Japanese is an easier language for us to converse in. And um, it was incredible. I just had such a good time, and it was such such a change between when I had arrived and spoke next to nothing, and now um, being able to have conversations. It's, it's kind of nice. So I enjoyed that. I had a good time. It only makes me wonder what uh, I could possibly do in the future with even more uh, Japanese study. So that was kind of exciting, sort of like a... Uh, What's the word? A validation of my progress, I guess. I don't know. I still have to admit, though, my my classmates are are so much more advanced than me, not because they know Japanese much better, but because to all of them, Japanese is their third or fourth or fifth language. Um, Japanese is only my second language, and these people know their native language, English, and then... Japanese or Korean or Chinese. It's just incredible. Absolutely incredible. Okay, I want to do a only in Japan segment, but what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to start walking home and then I'll do it on the way. This episode's Only in Japan segment has to do with the Playboy logo, the sexy Playboy logo. What's interesting about this logo is I've been seeing it everywhere. And it didn't occur to me until I saw it on a schoolgirl's, a piece of schoolgirl's clothing. I was in the train maybe three or four days ago. And I looked and, and I had to do a double take because I could not believe that this girl, who had to be in middle school, was wearing knee high socks with the Playboy logo on them. I had also seen a couple bags with the Playboy logo on it before, but I'd never actually seen young girls' clothing with the Playboy logo on it. Now, obviously everybody knows that the logo itself, the actual design of the logo is nothing really nothing really new. Or, not new. There's nothing really obscene about it. You know, it's a cute little sophisticated bunny with, you know, thin ears. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. However, um... 
you know, seeing it on such a young girl's clothing made me wonder, why are we promoting a, a brand that has to do with, with sex and, uh, you know, naked women on clothing that is worn by young girls? At first I thought maybe it was some statement by that particular girl, but then I realized that all the girls from the same school had clothing that, that, that matched it. It was almost part of their outfit, and they, I think more than half of them had the same sort of socks with the Playboy logo on them, and it, and it perfectly matched their skirt color. So something was afoot here. Did a little research, and I found out that that logo is actually part of a, a marketing scheme by Playboy to market clothing, bags, all sorts of accessories with the Playboy logo. And not so much the magazine and its content, but more the brand. And I think that happened a lot in Japan. I was reading an excellent article by a blogger and a musician named Marxy who lives in Japan and has been writing in Japan. And I think he's been here for at least 10 years, maybe closer to 12. And he wrote an excellent article on, I think it's called Die Bitch Skateboards or Bitch Skateboards. Uh, I will post a link to it in the show notes. It talks about branding in Japan, and this is something that's always fascinated me, and I, I want to explore it a little further. But branding in Japan, and oftentimes the brands themselves are used to promote products uh, that don't have the same meaning of the brand icon, say, in the U.S. or in Europe. So in the U.S., you see the Playboy logo, and you think, oh, wow, Playboy magazine, Hugh Hefner, that lifestyle. But here, I think they see the Playboy logo, and they say, oh, wow, that's cool. I think I think that's, that's how it goes. Also, another thing I noticed, too, being in the uh, pachinko parlors and stuff, I, haven't, I still haven't played pachinko yet. I'm going to do that at some point when I can figure out how the game works, but um, usually it's to play Sega Initial D. And I've been noticing an abundance of Lilo and Stitch dolls in the machines that you can win. So not only are these Lilo and Stitch dolls in these machines you can win, but people have been putting them on their cell phones, um, wearing T-shirts, hanging them off their bags. So Lilo and Stitch, just being a cartoon character in, in the U.S., apparently now is also pretty popular. So I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't put it past the Japanese public to also think of Lilo and Stitch as a brand when it comes to... Um, putting on a t-shirt, on socks, hanging it from your cell phone. But I'm still waiting to see the uh, Playboy logo cell phone trinket. I'll keep looking for that. So anyway, it's probably kind of a lame only in Japan, but I, I thought I'd talk a little bit about the use of the Playboy logo on young schoolgirls' clothing. Kind of bizarre. I don't think that would fly so well <laughs> in U.S. schools, e- even though U.S. schools are a little more individual. Um, you know, we don't have, our public school systems anyway don't have, you know, outfits that are required. Everybody pretty much wears what they want to. <clears throat> but here, yeah, <laughs> it's bizarre. Well, I guess that's it. I just wanted to put out a quick episode. So, as I wrap up this episode, I just want to say thanks to a few people. Um, uh, I got a great email from Jenna, one of my Flickr friends. And uh, Jenna, thanks for writing. I'm going to send along um, some recommendations to your friend who's coming out in Japan. Uh, Hopefully I'll get to that this weekend. I wanted to thank, uh, again, the listener who sent me the tapes and sent me that great NPR piece. Uh, That was just truly fantastic. Uh, It was great to listen to that, sit down with a cup of coffee this morning and just sort of... 
soak it all in. I highly recommend you go listen to that. Incredible. Again, um, as always, thanks to everybody who listens. I, I appreciate you listening, and I, I hope you find it interesting, and I, I care that you listen, and... Uh, you know, it's kind of weird. I, I care that you listen, but again, I'm, I'm sort of doing this for myself and my family. So I'm, I'm glad you get enjoyment out of this. And and I, I sometimes wonder, you know, am I doing good things? Am I doing bad things? I mean, I, I don't even know if this is boring, if it's interesting. But clearly, at least a handful of people find this podcast at least semi-interesting. I think last I checked, there's about 250 people who download this. So thank you all for listening. Um, I also wanted to send a special thanks to Scott Lockman. I had recently checked the new Google Analytics interface, and I was thumbing through some of the statistics, and I realized 10% of my uh, page views over the last month have come from Tokyo Calling. So uh, Scott's been doing some excellent work. I'm really interested to see what he's going to do with his podcast coming up. He's such a bright guy, and uh, I'm sure whatever he decides to do will be uh, a very worthwhile endeavor, and I, I look forward to it. And I have a request, too, as this boat goes by. As you know, I am pulling together a a coffee episode for Japan, and I've been collecting a ton of material. If uh, any of the other Japan podcasters who listen to this podcast are listening, if you could, and if you have the the time or the inclination, if you're ever in a coffee shop and want to do a quick 30-second, this is how this cup of coffee tastes, and collect some audio and send it my way, I I would be so gracious and I will include that. Um, I've decided on the format for the the episode, and what I want to do is pull together some different clips of audio of different people with their particular review of a particular coffee place or coffee experience, coffee-related experience. It could even be buying coffee, anything. So if, if you're so inclined, uh, you don't have to edit it. You can just send it my way, and I'll, I'll put that together. I'd appreciate it. But, um, again, thank you, Scott, for um, sending some listeners my way. And, of course, I, I always do the same. I highly recommend his podcast. So it looks like that's going to be it. I'm going to head home and finish up some of the work I'm doing and maybe relax tonight. Um, Again, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoy and have a great weekend. Take care now. Bye.